Hello and welcome back to the History of the British Isles, episode 10, In the Land of Monks and Kings. So for the two-week delay in making this episode, I lost my script along with my email, giving me the mammoth ta- task of trying to redo everything I worked on. Before we dive into the history, I would like to tell you about the schedule up to Christmas. There will be three normal episodes on Armistice Special. The Armistice Special will be the episode after this one, and then there will be an episode in mid-December and one a week from then. This is because my birthday is in early December and my sister's birthday is the week is two weeks before that. So I think I want to do a break to do other things around that point. I also have a special announcement that I'm going to talk about at the end of this episode. I am also writing this episode in a slightly different way. I will be partially ad-libbing it. As to get in more content, as to get more content into the episode, as one only goal with this podcast is to present history in a fun and interesting way. Without further ado, let's begin. In this episode, I'm going to cover Irish history from the year 400 to 800. I'll be doing this for all of the powers of the British Isles, and we'll go, and we'll group Cornwall with Wales due to their similar culture at the time. The first recorded event in Irish history. It's in the Chronicle of Prosper of Aquitaine, who mentions Palladius being made Bishop of Ireland by Pope Celestine I in the year 431, one year before the mission of St. Patrick, who I am going to talk about now, or at least the semi-mythical version of him that is portrayed in texts. Patrick was from the Romano-British middle class and ended up being a slave for the Irish king Miluic. We do not know how he became a slave, and very little is known about his early childhood. He was a sl- slave. What we do know is that he was a slave for six years, and after that became a holy man. He heard a voice telling him, and I quote, Your hungers are rewarded. You can go home now. Your ship is waiting for you. Apparently, he walked 200 miles. Patrick arrived in Wexford, and somehow came into the funds to afford a trip across the sea. He approached the captain of the ship, but was flatly turned down. Patrick Patrick went back to his hut and prayed for God for passage across the channel. A sailor called to him quick after he prayed and told him that he was welcome aboard. Patrick journeyed for many weeks before making it safely home to Britannia. He could not stop thinking about the Irish, Irish and so journeyed back to free them from the yoke of paganism and make them good Christians. This process may have took longer than his lifetime, but he was definitely key in starting this process, along with the aforementioned Palladius, who I have not talked about nearly as much as does him justice. You know the story about about Patrick from here. He kicked out all the snakes from Ireland and and made all the Irish Christian in the process. Now, let me talk about the post-Christianisation period of ecclesiastical history in Ireland. Dioceses started developing all over Ireland. The church became an important part of daily life, especially bishops. Monasteries functioned sexually, occasionally warring with each other. In the modern world, this would be unheard of, but in Ireland, monasteries were dominant political powers as well as ecclesiastical ones. Irish missionaries travelled all over the continent and were especially prevalent in Britain and Western Europe, in the bits that had not previously been converted by the by the churchmen of 
the Mediterranean and south of Europe. Ireland grew a great reputation for scholarship and learning and developed an art style that blended native art with Pictish and Anglo-Saxon styles, which was, which was prevalent at Lindisfarne and, uh, and other sites across the British Isles. This is all I can say about the church, so let's move on to secular matters. In the early 400s, Ireland was divided into five major kingdoms, which is a pentarchy for those who want to be a bit more fancy with their history, or just want to not be confused when that term appears in books or in talks by historians. The main states were Mumu, which is modern-day Munster and the best name by far, in my personal opinion, Connaught, Monday Connaughta, Monday Connaught and King of the North West, Ulaid, Monday Ulster, Ligon, Monday Lanster, Leinster and Dominic Force in South East and Central Ireland, Mide, Monday Reith and the smallest of all the Irish states. The system was soon challenged by two new dynasties, Oinil and Eoganacta. Oinil ruled Connacta and reduced Ulaid or Ulster to the far west of their lands and pushed south into Lagan territory. Eoganacta expanded Munster into Lachlan and became the dominant power in the entire south of Ireland. This led to Ireland being divided in two halves. The northern one, Leacun, was dominated by Connacta, and the southern one, Leith Moga, was dominated by Mumu. This, this is a semi-simplification of Irish politics. The semi-simplification of Irish politics led to the concept of a high king started to be envisioned. But that's for another day. Goodbye for, ne- for now, and happy 10th episode! I'm going to start a website for the podcast soon, and it should be ready for launch. And it should be ready for launch on the episode, on the episode after the Armistice special. Goodbye for now! Bye!